their confidence in, in asking me to come and uh, fill this pulpit today. Um, I don't know about you guys, but um, and I don't know who signed up, but there is a men's shooting today. I don't know what men sign up to get shot, but um, that should be a pretty easy choice. I don't know what you have to do to get on that list for the men's shooting, but um, I, I don't know. I, I've left and things have went crazy around here. You're shooting men on Sunday afternoons when pastor's out. Amen. Amen. How many are thankful for the presence of the Lord? Amen. 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 Let's ask the Lord to help us. Let's ask him to speak to us. Lord, we love you and we thank you so much for your goodness, your kindness, Lord, your presence that's here today, Lord. We thank you, Lord, God, for being so faithful, Lord, that in your word you said where two or three are gathered together, you would be there right in the midst. And here we are today. We've worshiped you. We've praised you. You've inhabited the praises of your people. You are a faithful God to be here today, Lord, and we're thankful. God, we're so thankful to feel your presence, your spirit, your power, Lord, the way that you have prepared our hearts for the word, God, that will go forth this morning. Lord, I pray that you anoint my mouth to be your mouthpiece, Lord. Anoint our ears, our hearts, our minds, God, to receive your word, Lord, unto us, Lord, and let it bring forth, Lord, a good in our heart. Lord, I pray that faith would be renewed. I pray that strength would be restored today. Hallelujah. Lord, I pray that lives will be changed, God, because we know that you're here, and we thank you, Lord, for your goodness. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray, and let everybody say amen. 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 Shake a hand of someone near you. Tell them how good it is to see you. Tell them how pretty and how handsome they are today. So beautiful today. Amen. You may be seated. This is a special day for me because uh, our whole family is together. We've got Maddie from St. Louis, and it's just a, a good weekend uh, to be here. Amen. Everyone say 35,000. 35,000 times every single day. 35,000. That number represents, according to the research done by Cornell University, 35,000 represents the number of choices that the average adult makes every single day. 35,000 choices. Of course, living in a free country where we get to choose our leaders and we get to experience a free market economy, we've come to expect a lot of choices when it comes to products and services. And this research project by Cornell done back in 2018, so it's a few years old, said that the average American makes approximately, listen to this, Americans make approximately 227 decisions every day on food. 227 choices every day on food. And someone say, thank you, Jesus. Amen. I mean, just think about the choices you've made already today. And probably most people here, you've been awake now for two to four hours and you've made a choice to get out of bed or not to get out of bed today. And I'm thankful you made a good choice today. You've made a choice whether to take a shower or to not take a shower today. And I'm thankful for half of those today. 
You've made a choice over what to wear, what suit, what shirt, what tie, what socks, what shoes. You made a choice whether to eat breakfast or to hope that the preacher wasn't too long so that you could get to lunch a little bit quicker today. You will make a choice at 2 p.m. this afternoon whether to go get shot or not at the men's shooting. Choices. Some of you made a choice on what coffee to order or to drink. You made a choice whether you had time to stop to get that coffee or not. You had the choice what route to take to church. You had a choice whether to like that post on Facebook or not. You've made choices, 35,000 choices, remotely conscious choices, decisions that are made every single day. And of course, every choice carries certain consequences, some big, some large, some good, and some bad. And, and, and we make choices in a number of different ways. And you will, some of you will identify, there, there are some impulsive choice makers. I have any impulsive people out there. Where, where you just, you choose the first option given and you're done. You're ready to roll with it. Impulsive. Or there's the compliance. Uh, those who choose the most pleasing or the most comfortable or the most popular. This is the, the, the number nines in the group, Enneagram nines. These are the, the choices. They're just compliant and that's how they make choices. There's others who delegate. They don't want to make the decisions themselves, so they push it off on someone else. Anyone, anyone a delegator in the room today? My wife ought to raise her hand right now. Uh, delegation. And then there's the uh, people who just avoid and deflect, where, where you avoid and ignore making a choice simply because you don't want the responsibility for the impact of the choice that you make. You just kind of avoid it. You deflect it. Or there's those who balance. They weigh out the factors. They analyze things. Any analyzers in the house today? And, and, and then you use the info that you have to make the best choice. Or then there's the, the prioritize and reflect where, where you just put in a whole lot of energy and a whole lot of effort into the choices and the impact they're going to have. And this for the Enneagram Ones, you are making the perfect choice, as, as you might say. Not, not, not all choices will fall into a, a singular category. And in fact, uh, a lot of choices come with a, a combination of those choice strategies. And in order to cope with the, just the sheer volume of choices that must be made, the, the ironic thing here about all of this is, is whatever strategy you use, whether consciously or unconsciously, the, 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 the strategy that's used without even realizing it is actually the first choice to be made. How am I going to make this decision? It's just compounded choices. 35,000 choices a day, over 2,000 choices every single hour of the day. Eleanor Roosevelt said this, one's philosophy is not, yet, or not best expressed in words. But one's philosophy is expressed in the choices that they make. For in the long run, we shape our lives and we shape ourselves by the choices that we make. And the process never ends until the day we die. And the choices we make are ultimately our responsibility. So many choices. And understanding that there are consequences to every single choice. How on earth are we supposed to navigate the the labyrinth of choices that we have to make every single day. Author Mike Glenn, who wrote a book about the choices we make, he says this, discovering the person who you are in Christ and who he created you to be and the purpose for which you were created by God frees you 
from the paralysis of having to make the decisions you make every single day. You see, sometimes the, the reason people get stuck in life and, and the reason people kind of hit a wall in life is because we've never really taken the time nor we've never really taken the energy to figure out who we really are in Jesus Christ and who he wants us to be and determine who we're going to be with him. So, so I come to submit to you today since he is the one who has created us and he is the one who knows us best. We were created in his image and because we were created to be in covenant relationship with him, only when we decide and make the choice to be in covenant relationship with him do we ever really get to know ourselves. Consider the story of creation. Genesis, the first chapter in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Of course, the next few verses talk about he created the light and the dark, the sun, the moon, the stars, the water, the land, the vegetation, animals, birds, fish, and such. And of course, he uh, culminates all of that to, to the creation of mankind. Genesis 2 and 7 says, or I'm sorry, verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish and the birds and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is Genesis 1. And if you go and look at, at theologians as they begin to describe creation, Genesis, the first chapter, is is considered to be the song of creation. Reading through it just is beautiful. It's, it's poetic form in, in its Hebrew uh, origin here. And, and of course, that culmination is, is the creation of mankind. And, and Genesis chapter 1 would have been sung as a song in the way that it was written. But then you get to Genesis chapter 2, and it's, it's like a repeat. It's like you go back to the beginning, but it's not so much the song. It doesn't have the poetic uh, uh, form and prose to it, but, but, but it, it, it's a story of creation. And look at chapter 2, verse 7, where it says, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the middle of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So here is the, the story of creation. Of course, Adam and Eve, both in Genesis 1 and in Genesis 2, and, and one is the song with, with beautiful words, and, and chapter 2 is the story, and it's really just kind of getting us to the point. It's leading us where we will see the free will of man. Verse 16 says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it. And here's the consequence of the choice. And that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. It's important to understand today, Adam and Eve placed in the garden, they had access to everything. All that they could see was theirs. Yet they were left with a single choice. We can have everything here, everything we lay our eyes on. We can eat of it. We've just got to stay away from the tree of knowledge. And they also understood that there was a consequence to the choice of making the wrong decision. 
Of course, today we know and understand, uh, even if you are new to church and new to the Bible, we probably understand that Eve is talking to the serpent and is tempted and, and takes of the fruit and gives to Adam who was with her and they ate that together and they immediately felt the guilt of their choice. And those words in which God had spoken to Adam began to uh, 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 just, just echo in their hearing and in their hearts that in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That's our modern English. That's our translation here in the New King James Version. You shall surely die. But the original Hebrew, again, not really worried about the song or the poetic part of it. The emphasis there on, in the Hebrew is on the word die. In fact, uh, this could be really more appropriately translated in, into the day that you eat of it, you shall die, die. Or in other words, the, the writer's trying to say here that, that you're not just going to die, but you're going to be dead, dead. It's like going to a 2 p.m. men's shooting. You're going to be dead, dead when that happens. Remember, though, this wasn't the intention. In fact, we should not even know what death is. For we were created to have life. For when God breathed into the nostrils of Adam, he breathed into his body life. And at that moment, death was, was not even on the docket. According to creation, the original state of man, we, we should not know today what a funeral home is. We should not know what hospice or, or a hearse is. None of these things should be a thing. None of these things should be an industry. There should be no potential for death because it was was not God's will that any should die, but Adam and Eve made a choice. When we go into the New Testament, the book of Romans, Paul's talking to the church of Rome, and he says this in chapter 5 and verse 12. Therefore, just as though one man's sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death has spread to all men, because all have sinned. I don't miss this today, because possibly the most important Part or, or maybe the crux of, of the entire creation story and, and maybe the point that's missed the most is that Adam and Eve, after they ate of the fruit that was forbidden, they did not die. Yes, they felt the guilt. Yes, they, their eyes were open to their nakedness. Yes, there was a loss of innocence. Yes, they, they tried to hide from God. But, but at that moment that they ate of the fruit of that tree, they did not die. So the question is then, was God lying to them? Was he trying to scare them? Was he trying to coerce Adam and Eve? Which the answer is absolutely not. But I believe what we see here in Genesis, what is on display is simply the mercy of God coming to the forefront in the life of Adam and Eve. For God clothed them with the skins of the animals, slain animals to cover their sin, to cover their nakedness. Genesis 3 and 24 says he drove out the man from the garden and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Yet we see here that, 
Those animals had to be sacrificed. Those skins had to be taken from an animal in order to cover the sin and the choice that Adam and Eve made. And then we begin to see God begins to just push back the penalty of those sins, the, the consequences of the choice. God pushed those all the way back to, to Calvary. Yes, death came by the choice of sin, but that is exactly why Jesus Christ came and how many are thankful for that today? Matthew 121 says, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. First Timothy said this, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. First John said, And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Let me tell you today, Christ came into the world to save sinners from the choices that they've made. God chose to come and robe himself in flesh to give his life a free will offering when you and I were destined for a fiery grave. And scripture lets us know that we are to call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. If you're thankful for the grace and the mercy of God. Would you just begin to clap your hands and begin to tell the Lord, Lord, I'm so thankful for your sacrifice today. See, the real beauty of his birth and his death is to really understand the ugliness that it cures. For this sin problem pervades the entire world. It's because of sin that we have tears. It's because of sin that we have pain. It's because of sin that we have wars and rumors of war and fighting. It's because of sin that we have to deal with things like anxiety and, and discord. It's because of sin today that we have to deal with civil unrest and fear and and worry and sickness. It's because of sin that we deal with death and famine. All of these things which sour our existence today are all directly a result of the choice that sin has. Because sin disturbs and it disrupts every human relation, whether between man and man, whether man and creation, whether man and God. It is sin that, that comes in and disrupts and disturbs and distorts every relationship that we have. Thomas Watson, a great Puritan writer, once said this, sin has turned beauty into deformity and the wicked takes more care to have his sin covered than cured. It is sin that generates chaos. It is sin that no one escapes. Paul said it like this in Romans 3, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He's letting us know if you deal in the currency of sin, Paul said that the payment will always be death. For he said in 6 and 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Every person on the globe today 
day will die and therefore be affected by sin. Every broken marriage, every disrupted home, every broken relationship, every shattered friendship, every evil thought, every evil word, every evil deed, every bit of heartache, every bit of pain, every bit of trouble and grief and pain, it all can be dried back and attributed to sin. And that's why Joshua chapter 7 and verse 13, he called it the sin. He said, it isn't a curse thing. It's compared to the venom of snakes. It is compared to the stench of the grave. And to think something so powerful and something so sinister and something so debilitating for the entire human race all comes down to one thing and that one thing. Some may be thinking today, Greg, that's pretty dramatic. Greg, that's, that's pretty emotional. But can I tell you today, I can't get dramatic enough to paint you a picture to tell you the story of what sin can do in someone's life. If you and I were to walk down the corridors of the county courthouse tomorrow, we would find hundreds of years of marriages ending in divorce, bitter divisions, where lives and families are forever shattered because of choices that are made along the way. If we could somehow walk through a casino today or a racetrack, we would see how addictions have broken up thousands of families, causing homes to be crushed under the weight of that addiction and it all started with the simple choice. If we could walk down the hallways of the alcoholic ward in the hospital and begin to peek into the rooms of where we see mothers and fathers and teenagers who are shaking uncontrollably from the withdrawal from that drug or that liquor, it would show you the result of choice. If I could take you today inside of a crack house or take you to a cocaine party and watch how young boys and young ladies ruin the rest of their lives and their eternity. It would not even begin to share the story of the choice that sin makes. If we could see today inside of the churches that once began, once preached the holiness message in this one God apostolic Holy Ghost message. But now today those people no longer sit on a pew. They no longer longer sit and raise their hands to God. They are no longer called by his name because of choices that are made. And sin came in and began to attack them and it would begin to just tell you the glimpse, the iceberg glimpse, the, the, the tip of the iceberg today. I pray today that you feel the urgency of the choices that you make. So I've come to preach, don't let sin slow you down. Don't let sin back you up and cause you to lose your desire. Don't let sin in and weaken your commitment or change your commitment or water it down. Don't let sin get in your home. Don't let sin get in your marriage. Don't let sin get in your mind. Don't let it come in between you and the Lord. Don't cause it to let you walk by sight. Don't let sin rob you of your faith. Don't let sin rob you of your praise and your worship. Understand today, you are under attack and the enemy of your soul he's trying to take you out in these last days the enemy that 
you're dealing with, he will not quit. He will not slack. He will not take a break until he's got his jaws wrapped around you and leading you to places that you never wanted to go. But I've come today to say we've got a choice. We've got a choice to make. We can fall to the tricks of the enemy or we can today say I choose the lamb. I choose the lamb. I choose the lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. John the Revelator as he wrote in the book of Revelation oh, he, he pulls all the way back to the book of Genesis when he said in Revelation when he says he is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. You see the lamb that John is referencing in the book of Revelation and the lamb that he begins to talk about he is referring to the plan of redemption through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. That's why it says in 1 Peter chapter 1 knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot he indeed was foreordained for before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you in other words what the scripture is saying here is when God created the heavens and the earth and he went throughout all creation when he created the world he already had the cross in mind he already knew that he would come as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world and he did so to give you and I a choice today he did so knowing that we would be raised in such a dirty and dark world but he looked down the corridors hear me today he looked down the corridors of time and do October of 2022 and he said there's going to be a group of people at the apostolic Pentecostal church and in and of themselves they are destined for a fiery grave in hell but I want to give them a choice I want to give them an outlet so I'm going to come and I'm going to roll myself and I say today let's choose the lamb let's choose the lamb would you clap your hands right now and thank the Lord for his goodness today reading through the book of Exodus in the Old Testament, recounting the events as God delivered his people out of the bondage and the slavery in Egypt. We, of course, know the events. Moses is sent before Pharaoh, and he famously declares, let my people go. Pharaoh, of course, either denies it up front or he allows it, and then he changes his mind and and calls the people back in. And of course, the result of this is God sends forth these plagues. Water was turned to blood. Frogs everywhere. Gnats, flies. Livestock begin to die. Boils upon the body. Hailstorm, locust, darkness. And ultimately leads to that last plague, the death of the firstborn. This plague was announced in Exodus, the 11th chapter. And then it starts in Exodus, the 13th chapter. But there's a chapter in the middle there, chapter 12, where the Lord institutes for us this concept of the Passover. 
Exodus 12 and 3 says, Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for the household. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now, uh, you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. This Passover celebration that the Lord institutes here in Exodus, the 12th chapter, talks about this lamb that was to be without blemish, without spot. And it was the role of the shepherds of the time. Excuse me. They'd been trained how to attend to the needs of their flock. And when it came to these sacrificial lambs, they, of course, had to be without blemish and without spot. They required special treatment. There was a a special observing that they they would go through according to the laws of the time. The sheep that were to be used for the offerings had to to be a one-year-old male sheep. They had to have been outside of the flock for the last 365 days. And when they were ready, then they were to be taken to be sacrificed. But it goes even a little bit deeper than that because when the mother you was preparing to give birth to that, that, that male, the shepherd would take that mother and, and they would go into a special birthing place. They would go into a cave that was designated to give birth to these sacrificial lambs. And this cave was, was always to be kept sterile and clean for the arrival of these newborn sacrificial lambs. And upon the delivery of those newborn lambs, they would immediately be taken and they would be wrapped in in these swaddling cloths to protect them and to help keep them from blemish and from danger. So when those Israelites went to select their Passover lamb, it it would be one that was born in a stable-like, who was wrapped in swaddling clothes, who was without blemish and without spot, which I don't know about you, but it sounds a whole lot like another instance of in our history because somewhere on the backside of Bethlehem in a stable in a cave there were shepherds who were out watching their flocks by night and it says in Luke 2 and 9 and behold the angels stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were greatly afraid and the angel said do not be afraid for behold I bring you good tidings of great joy which will be to all people for there is born to you this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord and this is going to be the sign you're going to find a babe who's wrapped in swaddling clothes who's lying in the manger now folks there were apparently a whole lot of places that held mangers in that day but those shepherds they comprehended immediately where they were to go to find this baby it was to be in a cave where the sacrificial lambs were to be born those lambs wrapped in swaddling clothes. And then we jump forward to John's gospel. And John, instead of starting with the birth of Jesus Christ, John begins to let us know about a man by the name of John the Baptist who grew up just like any other Jewish child. Jewish children learned from their fathers. And John followed his father to the temple day after day. And that father would show him how to light the incense 
garments, how to do the sacrifice, how to wear the garments. And quite possibly, most importantly, the thing that John's father taught him was how to select the sacrificial lamb. You see, John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, he was a Levite. He was a descendant of Aaron and his sons, the first priest. So who would have went and selected those first animals for sacrifice in the Old Testament? So if anybody knew how to select a lamb coming from the lineage of the Levites to Zacharias to John the Baptist, if anybody knew how to select the perfect lamb, it was John the Baptist. So it's no wonder that the very first time John the Baptist lays eyes on Jesus Christ in John 1.21, he said, I saw Jesus coming toward me and I said, behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. He said, I know a lamb when I see it and that lamb is spotless and that lamb is without blemish. He is not just another man, hear me today, but that is the Lamb of God and he has come to give us a choice. He has come to redeem mankind from their sins. Someone say, choose the lamb. That woman with an issue of blood, 12 long years, where life hemorrhaged from her body, could not find help, could not find a cure, walking around with shame, walking around guilt-ridden and and fear-stricken. In fact, everywhere that woman with an issue of blood, everywhere she went, she had to scream out, unclean, unclean, so that no one would go and touch her. No one would come within six feet of her. We understand that. She could not touch. She could not be touched because she was unclean. But when Jesus shows up, Jesus was so powerful and Jesus was so perfect and Jesus was so unblemished that when he came around if he had been a normal man and touched her he would have been unclean but Jesus was not just any lamb Jesus was the lamb and when he came and she touched him she was he was not made unclean because it was his purity that had authority over her impurity. Therefore he looked at that woman and said be of good comfort because it has made you whole. You had a lot of choices lady and you've been in contact with the Lamb of God and you shall be made clean again. Let me tell you today, if you're in this house and you've made some bad choices in your past, you don't have to be fear-stricken. You don't have to be guilt-ridden. There is a God who has given his life for you and the choice today is saying, I've got to get to where Jesus is. I've got to get to where he is today. Oh, come on, would you raise your hands right now? Come on, there's something that needs to break in the spirit right now. Would you just begin to lift up your hands, lift up your voice right now? Hey, come on. 
We're going to take just a moment right now. I don't feel liberty to go another step. I feel a check in the spirit right now. Would you just begin to close your eyes and begin to just begin to talk to the Lord? I feel like he's wanting to move in someone right now. Lord, whoever in this place needs to hear your word right now, I pray that ears would be opened. I pray that hearts would be opened. I pray that eyes would be opened today, Lord, right now. That there is a choice. That there is a choice. We do not have to live with guilt. We don't have to live with shame because of the choices that we have made in our past. Lord, that's the reason you came. When you, when you formed the foundations of the world, you looked all the way to this day and you understood that choices have scarred some people and choices have hurt people. But here is a choice today that is to be made and that is simply by choosing you uh, and surrendering our lives to you uh, and realizing that you uh, are the reason uh, that we have an opportunity, that we have hope, uh, that we can have a life today. Uh, oh, hallelujah. Would someone just begin to call out the name of the Lord right now? If you've never called out the name of Jesus, uh, or maybe it's just been a little long, uh, a little while too long since you've called on his name, uh, I'm here to tell you it is okay. Uh, no matter what choices you've made in the past no matter what choices you've made this week no matter what choices you made last night there is a choice that is in this house today and it is saying Lord I choose you today I choose you today let your blood be applied to my life That demoniac in Luke the 8th chapter, Scripture lets us know that he, he, he would rip his clothes off. He would run around the tombs, cutting himself, screaming, torturing himself. They would come and they'd try to control him. They'd tie him up. They would, they'd wrap him up in chains, but... All he would do somehow inhumanely would, would, would break the fetters and, and break the chains. Nobody could control this man who, who was controlled by, by these demons. Yet in Luke the 8th chapter when, when Jesus shows up on the scene. When, when the lamb shows up. The scripture gives us an altogether all different story because what could not be tamed in, in human ways, what, not could, what could not be contained by, by human efforts, when, when the lamb showed up on the scene, uh, chains began to fall off, not physical chains, uh, but chains uh, that held that man's mind uh, and chains that held that man's spirit. Uh, they began to fall uh, in the chaos, uh, which was his life life it stopped on the instant when the lamb showed up and scripture lets us know that that demoniac came to where Jesus was and began to sit down at his feet and he was clothed in his right mind tell me what can do that what has the power to control that what can make me whole again I say nothing 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 but the blood of Jesus Christ what can solve the guilt in me what can take away the anxieties and the chaos of life I say 
contain nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, would you shout to the Lord right now and thank God for his blood today. Someone needs to begin to plead the blood. Oh, Jesus. Oh, how precious is the flow of the blood of the Lamb. See, pleading the blood is really a legal term. Think of it like a, an attorney who is pleading his case before the judge. And he comes and he presents the evidence. He presents the facts to support his case. They're pleading. It's a legal term. But let me tell you this. Pleading the blood is not some way to manipulate God to do your will. You can't go charge up all your credit cards and then plead the blood of your finances. I'm talking about choices. You can't hop online and have that relationship online and then plead God and plead the blood over your home. Pleading the blood is not a way to manipulate God to doing your will. Yet though, when the accuser looks at us and says they're guilty, when the accuser of our soul says, now wait a minute before you all go raising your hand and worshiping the Lord and going to that altar today, remember what you did yesterday. Remember what you did last week. Remember what you did last month. Remember what you did 30 years ago. Remember what you did 50 years ago. When the accuser says that we're guilty, and death is the sentence for our guilt and sin. Our plea before God, the righteous judge, is to plead the blood of Jesus. Because the blood of Jesus changes everything. The blood of Jesus established a, a new and a better covenant between us and a holy God. It declares that we are not guilty but we can live free from the penalty of sin. The blood also, blood also gives us the authority and the dominion to resist Satan, to put him in his, to stop him in his tracks, to put him in his place, to, to get him out of all the affairs of lives, out of all of our home, because of Jesus' sacrifice at Calvary. The enemy of your soul has no legal right to interfere in your life anymore. For when he says we're guilty, all we need to say is, no, I've made a choice. And I plead the blood of Jesus. And we have the right and the provision to walk in the victory through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Can we stand all across this place? See, every day you have a choice. You have 35,000 choices every single day. You have 270 choices that you're going to make on food alone. You're going to have a few hundred more about what to wear, what to do with your time. Every day you have a choice to exercise the authority of the blood of Jesus in your life. And can I tell you, that's the greatest choice you will ever, ever, ever make.
is to live your life for him. So I say, we need to refuse to give the enemy even an inch of territory in our life because the devil, he is a defeated foe. And it's through the precious blood of Jesus Christ that we live victorious. And can I tell you today, if, if we ever get to the point, if we ever get God's power working in our lives and his blood covering us, there's not a battle you won't lose when you come up against the enemy. So I stand here as Joshua said, he said, look, we've got a lot of choices to make. We've got a lot of ways we can go. But then he makes the point. He said, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And that's the choice of choosing the lamb. Would you close your eyes and raise your hands all across this place? Lord, thankful for the word that you've given to us today. God, I'm thankful, Lord, for your blood. God, when the penalty of our sin is death and when we were left without a hope because of choices that were made, God, you saw, saw through the corridors of time and you saw until this day a people that would need a Savior, a people that would need a sacrifice without blemish, without spot. Lord, and I prayed today, God, with all the choices we have to make, Lord, that there would be a choice that would be made today to live for you and nobody else. Lord, there are some here today that are teetering, teetering between choices, between right and wrong, good and evil, whatever you want to call it today. But there are some people, I feel so strongly in my spirit, who are teetering on the choice to live for you or to not. And I pray, God, whoever they may be, that you would deal with them in their heart right now and that they would make a choice, the choice, to choose you, to choose the lamb, to choose the blood, to choose forgiveness, to choose joy and peace and long-suffering. If the Holy Ghost is working in you and speaking to your heart, would you make a step of faith and step out of your pew right now and make your way around this altar? It's a choice that you can make right now. But I pray you've heard the word of the Lord today and you make the right choice. Because I promise you, as you make the choice to come forward, there is a Father in heaven who's looking out for you. His arms are wide open. He is longing to run and embrace you again and to wrap you in His arms and to put a new ring on your finger, to put a new robe on your back and saying, Come on in. We're going to celebrate today because you've made the right choice. There are those today who are battling against shame and, and guilt. Some of you are battling against the choices that you made long ago. And you don't think that there is a God in heaven who loves you or can forgive you. I've come today to say that it does not matter what you've done. There is a God who loves you. And he gave his life for you. In fact, if you were the only human being on earth, he still would have robed himself in flesh. He still would have went to the cross. He still would have taken the crown of thorns. He still would have given up his life just for you today. So choose the lamb. Choose the lamb.
choose the lamb, choose the lamb. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, it's not too late. It's not too late, choose the lamb today. You've not done too much today. I say choose the lamb, choose the lamb, choose the lamb. you've never repented of your sins it's simply a prayer saying God I am so sorry for the things that I have done God I'm so I feel so much guilt and shame for those things Lord would you forgive me because I'm going to turn and I'm going to make my life for you Lord I'm choosing you today I'm choosing the lamb if you've never been baptized in the precious name of Jesus Christ would you come up right front and just begin to let me know I'm ready to be baptized. I'm ready to be buried in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of those sins. And your sins will be buried in the waters of baptism today. I say it's a choice. And I say it's a choice worth making. If you've never been filled with the precious gift of the Holy Ghost by the evidence of speaking in tongues, I say go ahead and repent and then throw your hands in the air and know that God wants to fill you with His Spirit by the evidence of speaking in a heavenly language, by the evidence of speaking in tongues as His Spirit comes in and begins to move in your life today. It's a choice. It's a choice. It's a choice. The wonder-working power of the blood, the blood that calls the sons and daughters. We are answered by our Father through the blood, the blood. There is nothing stronger. Your blood. I'll make that choice today. Oh, why don't you, if you're by your spouse, would you grab the hand of your spouse and say, I plead the blood over my home. I plead the blood over my home. I'm not going to let anything in my home that would separate me from you and your love today. We choose the land. We choose the land. to glory. 